Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes Is A Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Ryan Pender. Who's that? I'm so, so glad you asked. Ryan Pender is an executive producer at ITV America, where he's been a lead creative on the History Channel show Alone for the past eight seasons. Prior to Alone, Pender's expertise in adventure and documentary-based programming includes series that have premiered on the Science Channel, the History Channel, National Geographic, maybe you've heard of that one, and Discovery. Before his 10 years at ITV America, Ryan documented life during the Iraq War while embedded with troops. He's also produced projects for Fuse, Comedy Central, and Vice. If you've never seen the show alone, I highly recommend it. It's an amazing show. It's absolutely crazy. They take 10 people. They drop them off by themselves. They have to film themselves. There's not a camera crew with them. They have to film themselves, come up with a shelter, and figure out how to eat. And the person who lasts the longest wins half a million dollars. But what's really interesting is they don't tell the people when somebody's quit. You have this little sat phone, you can tap out. So at any minute, there's this psychological pressure to tap out. And when you tap out, a boat comes and picks you up or a helicopter. If a grizzly bear is actively trying to eat you, that happens on the show. There are so many grizzly bears on this show. And so what's really interesting is you never know where you stand in the game and you never know how long the game is going to be. The game could be 10 days. The game could be 50 days. There was one that was 100 days. So you don't know, am I one of the last two people left? Am I one of the last seven people left? And it's fascinating. Now, even if you've never seen a single second of that show, I think you're going to love this episode. My favorite part is where Ryan explains what everyone who spends up to 100 days alone in the wilderness surrounded by grizzly bears and wolverines, when they're struggling to find food, what they ultimately learn about themselves and what really matters in life. There's a huge life lesson hidden in this episode from someone who has spent the last eight years working with people who push themselves to the outer limits of human achievement. I can't wait for you to hear this one. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Remodel Health. Navigating health benefits can be a struggle, especially for leaders who wear so many different hats within their organization. Luckily, you don't have to stress about picking the perfect plan for your team. Thanks to Remodel Health, you can get tailored health benefits that fit your organization's needs. Their in-depth, personalized approach to health benefits allows you to discover more options, serve employees better, and control the cost and quality of your health benefits like never before. What's more, Remodel customers save an average of 56% on health benefits. Imagine what you could do with savings like that. With their dedicated team of compassionate healthcare experts and consultants, your organization can experience better benefits while still getting the hands-on individual care your people need. Are you ready to learn how Remodel Health could help your organization provide better benefits and find bigger savings? Remodel's benefits consultants can run a health benefits analysis on your unique team to evaluate your current plan and help you find a better alternative that saves you money and better meets the needs of your people. Head over to remodelhealth.com analysis today to learn more about the health benefits analysis and get your personalized evaluation. Let me spell that one because 
The word analysis can be tricky. I've never once spelled the word occasionally correct. So fortunately, it's not the word occasionally, but that, that word can be tricky. It's remodelhealth.com slash A-N-A-L-Y-S-I-S. Remodelhealth.com slash analysis. Experience better benefits and bigger savings with Remodel Health. All right, let's jump right into the interview. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm excited about, you know, the finale. It's been a really fun season, and I'm thrilled that I get to ask you some questions about one of my favorite shows, Alone. Good. I'm glad to be here. So for anybody who doesn't watch, and I've done my best to tell people they 100% should watch, you take 10 people, you put them in the wilderness, they have to film themselves, there's very little equipment, they have to hunt and gather and do all, all the work. What do you think, you know, in the eighth season is the most difficult aspect for people? Is it the physical work? Is it the mental work? Where do you see people start to wear out and actually have to tap out, which means they're out of the game? Look, it's a, I think it's a mix for everybody. I think a lot of folks come up against their, their demons um, inside. Um, and it's a matter of how long those things take to play out. Um, I think the open-ended nature of it also, do you, you, there's no countdown, right? Uh, we've all been there where it's like, okay, two more weeks, three more weeks, I can get through this. This, it's totally open-ended. Um, and that can mess with you quite a bit because you just don't know when it's going to end. And you can push yourself as far as you can and push yourself further than you think. But ultimately, either your mind is going to wear out. That's kind of it, right? But I think that the beauty of the show is all these folks and, and the participants that come in are learning where their walls are. Not everybody. Not everybody gets that chance, right? Yeah. But um, for the most part, I think that's one of the big allures of it. That's a really interesting point because there's not a single marathon when they where they don't tell you that it's going to be 26.2. Like every marathon goes, there's a finish line. You'll know, you can w- look at your watch, but without a backstop of, because you don't know when somebody's quit. So you don't know, are there five people left? Are there two people left? Is it me? And I'm gutting it out against a 23-year-old who's trying to save his family with this money he's going to earn. You, you just don't know what you're up against. I think that's so fascinating. It seems like that there's a consistent moment where people start to practice tapping out. So there's they start having conversations where they start saying things like, well, you know, my great aunt really misses me. I know she's back home in Topeka, Kansas, and she's probably thinking, I want to do it for her, like to leave. Like I know she's, and they kind of, it almost feels like they rehearse quitting before they actually quit. Do you ever see patterns where people start to do that? A little bit. I think everybody talks about it, you know, what's it worth, what's it worth, what's it worth. And then, you know, they kind of get to a point where, yeah, they, they, they pull that trigger or hit the tap out button or, or call us, you know, and say, hey, I can't, I can't do it anymore. The, the beauty of a loan, you know, we don't give them notepads and pencils. They, they're not allowed to have them um, because we want them to tell us what's going on in their head on the camera. We want to see those things and we want to hear those things. And because of that, and they, and the fact that they're alone, they don't have anyone to speak to or talk to or soundboard off of. Um, the camera becomes that that person, you know, for lack of a better word. And yeah, there is there is an element of that. They're they're talking to the camera, but they're really talking to themselves, either talking them into something or talking themselves out of something. How many of those decisions? So it's really interesting. There's no pen. There's no paper. How many of those little decisions went into creating the nature of the show? Because there's certainly the, you have to film, but 
I think that that's what's unique about it. I think somebody who hasn't watched it might go, oh, yeah, 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 I've seen Survivor. I've seen other shows. But I feel like there's a lot of really deliberate decisions that make this show different. What are some of those decisions? Some of those decisions are the limiting of, of gear, right? Uh, you, can, you can only, let's, I, I want to say it's about 40 or 42 items that they can choose from, um, you know, off, not on those lists. You know, there's also the you can't bring lists. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Bic lighter, um, a Zippo fuel notebook you know so many different things we want to see the participants be creative in those little things you know like a piece of paper um and a pencil you know you you could do that with charcoal and some some birch bark when you don't have all these materials just at your fingertips how do you adapt um and a lot of thinking a lot of thought went into all of that and how how can we make this as lean as possible to make it as authentic as possible and keep true to the spirit of the show, which is basically, you know, one person, 10 items, you know, how long can you go? Well, to, to the point about how long can you go? There's a, there's a documentary, the Barkley marathons. I don't know if you've seen it about a crazy outdoor running um, event where it's a hundred miles. You have to use, there's no map really. You have to use longitude, latitude. And the host of it says they always pick somebody who they think won't make it like to add to the mix. So there was a contestant on a, on one of the early seasons where they called the boat back while they could still see the boat. Like, I think like they could see it still in the Harbor. Like they just yelled. They didn't even tap out because there were so many bears, so much danger. When you're picking contestants, do you have a sense of, wow, I think this person could go the long way or wow, they're going to be great for the show, but they might, they might run into some stuff they're not anticipating. Do you ever think about the contestants that way? A few things, right? I personally try to refrain from calling them contestants because it's not really a competition and I get people against each other, right? We, yeah. I, I call them participants. They're participating in something that's, that's bigger than them. And I get that question that you just asked quite often. In fact, in casting the next coming season, um, that exact question came up. And we don't, we don't do that because, and, and the truth of the matter is, this experience is so difficult. The best of the best can, can come out in a week. I, I know who you're speaking of, and that person, you know, had the bravado, um, had the skills, but he had never truly tested himself in, in, in that arena. And it was just too much for him. And you'll see that in the earlier seasons, certainly seasons one and season two. And then as seasons progress, you know, more and more people contact us that they are interested in being in and we vet them and we put them through a boot camp, um, see what they're made of. And we've done this for all seasons, seeing, you know, are they telling us the truth? Can they do these things? Have they done these things? So really, we always go for the best of the best. And again, the nature of, of this experience is so difficult. Doesn't matter who the best is, they can easily be the first one out. And that's a mental game in its own right, right? It's not just it's not being the last one out. It's also what happens if you're the first one out. Do you tell people where they, so the boat comes, they tap out for whatever reason. Do you tell them, okay, you're the third one out. You're the fourth. What? You don't give them that information. We do not give them that information. Okay. So when, when they come out of the field, we do not tell them where, where they landed in the, in the run that comes from when they, they watch the episodes. Okay. Wow. What a, that, cause that's a whole other experience too, then that's, I mean, that's, that's really fascinating to the point of, so now you're in the eighth season, the finale's coming up and you're working on the ninth season. It seems like certain shows, as people watch them, it changes the nature of the show. So for instance, Survivor, 
episode, season one, only Richard Hatch formed alliances. By season four, people were forming alliances at the airport before they got dropped off for Survivor. So where have you seen participants get better and better and better as they recognize the show is evolving? Because I, I, I love that in this season, for instance, Biko mentioned, you know, other contestants. You could, it was almost callbacks and you could see, okay, this is a learning environment and they're getting better, which forces you to make, you know, the environments even more challenging. Have you seen that happen with uh, participants? Yep. So, you know, as you can imagine for an experience of this level, you know, there is rules upon rules upon rules that, you know, we have to update every season um, because there's always a way around a rule. Right. And, and these folks figure it out, you know, yeah. and um, a great example this season, um, Tim, um, you know, we allow a toothbrush, right? No toothpaste, but they can have a toothbrush. You got to keep your, your teeth clean. He got smart and went to an antique shop. He went to like three different antique shops and bought like a sterling silver toothbrush. <laughs> so good. And so now we're going through their gear, making sure that all this equipment complies. And that rule was not in the books. So you, there's no rule that says you can't bring a metal toothbrush because I knew as soon as I saw it, I said, he's going to make a lure out of that. I know exactly. And I'm like, that's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. So good. So good. So now that's a new rule. You know, um, you know, we allow a belt. Um, and when folks come with a belt made of paracord, we're like, okay, no, that is a belt, yeah. That, yeah. but it's also, you're going to use it as paracord. So, you know, every, every item you bring has to have many purposes. You know, somebody brought a hammock one year and he utilized that hammock as a gill net as well. I thought that was super smart. Um, you know, there's always ways around the rules. And if you're not a thinking person, then, the, you know, then you shouldn't be a participant on the show. It's kind of one of the most exciting parts of it is when somebody figures out a way around it, a loophole around it. And you're like, damn, that was good. Yeah, there's there's you can see those moments happen. And I imagine you guys cheer um, when you see them. It feels like the show, even if you're not a quote unquote outdoors person, if, if you're not into rugged you know, terrain, there's so many leadership lessons in it. I think entire leadership books could be written about the things people learn, the things they go through. I think one of my favorites was there was a season, and I won't spoil it for people, but somebody had saved up a bunch of fish. They had enough fish for the next 30 days, but they weren't eating enough and got pulled for medical reasons. And it was this really painful, gut-wrenching moment where they realized that planning for the future, they had forgot to live in the present. And I think that there's a thousand applications for everyone, a mom and dad, a single adult, whatever. What are some leadership lessons you walk away from and go, oh, that that's right. That's bigger than just this arena. That's one of the big ones. That same season, there was a participant named Callie and she was always reminding herself to, to, to be present, to be present. And you hear that a lot from, from a lot of the participants. Um, just be in that moment and just be aware of the things that are going on in that moment. And I think that always echoes to me because I think we all, I think I read something today about like half of our lives. We're thinking about the future and not about the present. I, I think that's something we all have to keep in mind. And, and, you know, I'm guilty of it, you know, you know, looking down the line and, and not seeing what's right in front of you. Another thing, I think this kind of sort of answers the question. It's about chasing the buck, right? At the end of the day alone, it's, it's, it's a very simple concept. You know, you, you have, limited items. You go out by yourself. You last as long as you can. You learn what you can about yourself. And at the end of the, the day, there may be a payday or there may not be. But eventually, there's going to be a point in almost everybody's run that a half million dollars does nothing for you out there. Money means nothing unless you're going to burn it. And I think people almost always, almost always come back that money means nothing. And what's really the most important is family. 
And I think especially in the world we're in right now with the pandemic world and everything else, I think those are, are two of the things I try to cling on to as much as I can in everyday life because, you know, I, I see all this footage that these folks give and, and all the things that hit the cutting room floor and so many lessons. Um, but those are the two big ones is, is that chasing the buck isn't always worth it at the end. What's worth it is, is family. I, th- I think that's so true. And a friend asked me that the other day because I, I lost a big opportunity and I was kind of telling him how frustrated I was or sad about it. And he said, well, what would you have had more of if you had gotten that opportunity? I realized I wouldn't have had a double house. Like I wouldn't have put an additional bunkhouse on the top of the current one I have. And, and I realized I was going, oh, wait a second. You're right. I, I got stuck on that. Speaking of cutting room floor, this is more of a, a technical question, but how many just hours of footage do you guys pour through per per episode? Is it ten people are giving you you know days and days? Is it you know can you even put a number on that? Yep, I can. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's it averages between four nowadays. Season one, eight hundred hours per one hour show or four. No, no, no. Show? Well, oh, okay. per, per the whole series run. Okay, eight hours. Eight hundred hours. That, that was that was season one. Okay. Now, you know, we're in the 4,000 hour range, 4,000 hours, 4,000 hours. Um, oh. And that's, you know, a lot of times it's, it's cameras running, you know, and not attended or they've fallen asleep and the cameras are running. But yeah, and we have to sort through that in real time. You know, you you may have somebody making a fire, but they're talking about the relationship with their father. You may have somebody building a shelter, but really what they're doing is talking about the relationship with their children or or what they miss. So you have to watch all of that in real time. Um, so you get to really, 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 really know these people. It seems like a lot of the people who do well have almost, not everybody, but some of them have a spiritual kind of element to their time in the woods. Um, so they're, they're aware that, for instance, Alan um, from season one, he felt like a poet philosopher. I mean, he was quoting the Raven, you know, in his, in his little um, shelter. Have you found that as a consistency? Like if you said, okay, we, you know, here's some common threads we see is, is having this kind of bigger picture, spiritual element, something that you, you run into a lot among participants. I would say in the, again, in the earlier days, that spiritual element was a huge part of it. It goes for a lot of people. And whether, again, it's, it's not the, always the folks that make it to the end. It's, you know, the folks that make it to the middle or, or almost to the end, a large spiritual element. Um, uh, the last few seasons, um, again, I don't want to spoil it. It had to do with life experience and having lived this, this world. And in, I think both of those are, are quite a bit intertwined, right? Like you, I think the folks that have lived this have a different spiritual approach than maybe a lot of us that are, you know, doing the grind, you know, mm-hmm. they, they just see things differently. Um, they attack things differently. It's just a, a different way of doing business and, um, I try to bring as much of that into my life as I can after watching many, many hours. How has this changed you? I mean, because you're getting a, you have a front row seat to the human experience. I mean, this is a, you know, there's so much footage we don't even see and you're on the front row of it. What are some things that you might catch yourself, you know, saying something somebody said or changing your perspective of something? How has this for you as an executive producer? And and you've seen I mean, you were embedded in Iraq. Like, this isn't your first go round with difficult cir- circumstances. But have you seen that impact your life? I think so. Um, and I'm trying to figure out ones that pop into my head. You know, uh, you know, there's Mark uh, D'Ambrosio from from season 
seven, season seven, you know, there's the, you know, all it takes is all you got. That was his motto. That's all he ever said. And then there was a point where he was reassessing things and he, he said, um, everything I want, I've already got. And I thought that was super, um, that kind of hit me, right? Like, yeah, it's just, again, yeah. what it's, am I chasing? What am I chasing? You know, and I, and I, and I can almost pull out, you know, every single participant that, that says something. And, you know, like I said, Callie uh, from season three, or um, there's just so many, so many things that, that you just watch and you're like, right. And I think that's the beauty of this show is that if you really look at it, it's, you know, the show is not about, it's not about winning the money. It's really about what happens when you're completely alone and you don't have your phone, you don't have your computer and you just kind of assess what your world is. Um, and if you really, if you're watching the show, there's, there's the layers of the create, you know, what they're creating and how they're living and how they're adapting. But there's also the layers of everybody's story somehow talks to the people at home. Cause right. Cause everybody can identify with something most of these folks say. And I think that's a really cool part about the show. But yeah. I mean, I, I'll just leave it. I'll, I guess I'll just leave it there. I think what's really interesting is that it is so authentic. I mean, I, when I came to talk to you guys about maybe having somebody on the podcast, I realized there's three people I'd love to interview, but the participants and they're off grid in a cave somewhere um, doing primitive skills with a, with a bow and arrow from the 14th century, like the Mongols. Like it was, it was really fun to think while they're authentic, they don't have Wi-Fi, but at the same time it's relatable. So even if you're not doing these adventures, you can see yourself in the show and I think that involves storytelling. So how do you approach a show like this, an experience like this, as a storyteller? Lots of layers. Lots and lots of layers. And it, it sort of goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, it's not just about being out there. It's about, there's a honeymoon phase where, oh my God, it's beautiful here. Uh, this is the most amazing place I've ever been. I'm all alone. Solitude. And then we kind of get into the building aspect of it, right? Like, how are they, what is their shelter going to be? How are they getting water? How are they securing food? But eventually it comes down to being alone, right? And then we really start learning about these people. Maybe some people have started to fall off at that point. Um, and it allows us more time to start digging in to who these folks are and what elements and, and, and ideas and personalities we can pull out of their story to relate to the people at home. Because again, I think everybody picks their favorite or who they think is going to last the longest or who's going to, who you're going to identify with the most. And I think that's the great thing about it. And the other great thing is it's not a competition between each other, right? Like these folks all come in, you know, they go through an orientation system, a class basically for a week or two at location. And we're in any other show, they would be, you know, I'm going to beat this person. I'm going to beat that person. No, that's not true. They're actually all friends by the time they all launch. And then it's, it's not about competing with other people. It's really competing with themselves. Um, so those are the kind of like the, the big storylines we hit. And it's that takeaway, you know, when you, when you learn about some of somebody's mother uh, has brain cancer or what they want to do with that money and how that could change their lives, you learn about relationships with parents, right? Like good or bad. And again, it's all those things that folks at home can identify with. And I think that's the thing that, that really connects with, with people. Yeah. And I, I think that's the humanity part of it. Cause you do, you learn somebody, I grew up in foster care. I never had Christmas presents. And so my wife's present, my wife's physical presence means a lot to me. What am I doing out here? Um, and I think you see those kind of stories told over and over again. 
let's talk tap out for a second. So they tap out, they say, come rescue me. What is, what's the range of time? Is it that, you know, it's a 10 minute, they have to sit there and wait additional time. Is it you guys are three hours away? And I know every location is different. Does it take a long time? Is it a short time? Do they? It depends, right? It depends if we have a scramble, it's chopper. You know, if it's a, if it's a major issue, we can, we can scramble a chopper, but basically, you know, our response time is, is somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour that we can get, get these folks on, on a, on a normal extraction. If we need to be there faster, we can. And that's usually requires air support. Okay. And speaking of needing air support, um, I feel like you guys pick locations based on number of bears. Eventually the show is just going to be hosted on top of a bear. There are so (laughs) many bears. And I went to Glacier National Park recently and uh, that they rent you bear spray at the airport is crazy. Like if you landed in Tampa and they rented you alligator spray at the airport, you would say, you guys got to fix this alligator issue. Like <laughs> this thing's out of control. Or like they give you a bell for the world's greatest p- predator. What's been the closest or scariest moment where, okay, wow. Like, cause it feels like every season there's at least one bear. That's like, I'd love to smell your enclosure and on the infrared. So I think that's part of what makes this show just bonkers to me. What's been one that you'd say, yeah, that one, that one was scary. I think, look, I think there's been plenty. I think Jordan's interaction with a Wolverine was super terrifying. I love that you said that sentence so calmly too. Like Jordan's <laughs> like, you said it like Jordan got his taxes done. Jordan's interaction with a Wolverine, John. Now that I look back on it, that was heroin. That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And, you know, we don't go looking for locations that, oh my God, it's just going to be bare. It's just going to be this. It's just yeah. going to be that. I think each location brings its own element of, of danger. And of course, there's danger and there's perceived danger. Um, and that goes for any location, any interaction, you know, whether you're in, you're in a city or you're, you're in the wilderness. Um, it's a matter of how you adapt to it. The season two part, you were, you were discussing about um, one of the participants coming out early because of the bear, again, I, and that one, there was no aggression on the bear's part. Well, maybe a little bit. You know, that was just more than he was willing to chance. And again, and that's, that's totally fine. I think that's yeah. totally fine. It's, that's what the show is. It's, it's what are your boundaries? Um, yeah. And whether it's cold, freezing, frostbite, what are you willing to put into this and why? You know, and those are the things we want to know is why. Why are you doing this? Well, and that was what was interesting. Sue, one of the particip- uh, participants, had an encounter with bears and ended up saying that part of why she left was the anger it caused in her. And, and that that was something that she had worked on. You could tell that that was a part of her emotion. So I think it's interesting when you bump into a boundary because her response wasn't, bears are scary. It was, Hey, this brought out a side of me that I'm not comfortable with and I'm going to work on that. And I'm going to tap out as part of that. So seeing people discover their boundaries in real time is really fascinating. It is. I think, I think there's so much, you know, and not necessarily in, in the alone series, because I, I think, you know, bravado doesn't really play a huge part, but I think everybody, a lot of folks have these preconceived ideas of how they would act in a certain situation. And then when presented with that situation, things don't always go the way they thought they would handle it. And I, yeah. I think that's interesting to watch. Yeah. To see, to see that change, to actually change um, in real time. Have you ever predicted correctly who the winner was going to be from the beginning? So like you've done the base camp or the boot camp, and you go, you know what, this person's on a different level and then you pick it right. I've had some ideas, um, and I think I try to usually pick two people. Okay. Um, so in case I'm wrong, um, I can always say, oh, no, I was, I was oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I called both. Um, but there's, there's, there are folks that are just, you know, they come in and you're just like, holy cow. Like, you're just, you're incredible. And you, uh, 
um, you've lived this or your, your attitude is the right attitude. And there's other times I've been completely wrong. You know, I just, you know, didn't expect somebody to come out as early as they did. There's no, there really is truthfully no telling. In this. Yeah. It's, it's, you might have the best credentials and the best experiences, but you know, all of a sudden you get sick or you, something Spring happens. Spring your ankle. Spring yeah. your ankle. And it, and it, it just like that, you're out. Get a fish hook in your hand in Mongolia. Holy you know, cow, hypothetically. Right? Like, hypothetically. I was so sad for her. I was so, she had worked so hard to come back. Yeah, uh, uh, she would, I, again, it, it, she would have lasted so long. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Okay, so if you're going to make a list of, okay, the things I've learned about what it takes to really survive, and it can be survive with yourself. I mean, I just realized the other day that this, the shower is one of the only quiet times I have left in my life. And I thought, okay, I need to probably extend that past the 10-minute shower. Like, that's the reason I have good ideas in the shower. It's the only time I'm not looking at my phone. There's not chaos, whatever. What do you think are some of the mental aspects that help people go far that you'd go, okay, it was repeating mantras to themselves. It was holding the goal top of mind. It was staying in motion and creative. Like, what, are, what do you feel like are some of the, the shared characteristics of somebody who pushes through this goal? Sam Larson said in the redemption season, when I, when I left Vancouver Island, I, I was, I was, I'm paraphrasing. I was angry, you know, when things didn't go my way or things like, I couldn't provide for myself or, or think all those things, he goes, I, I just left angry. And what he learned leaving uh, Mongolia, he said, when I had a thankful attitude um, and when things, you know, went my way, you know, more, more things came my way. And I think that's what he learned is, is, is instead of being pessimistic, it, being optimistic, maybe allows the world to be a little bit more gentle on you. Mm. Or maybe it's just your outlook. And, you know, after having those, that, the, the first round of life experiences for Sam, the second round, you know, you just, you weren't going to get him down. He knew himself better. And yeah. I, yeah. I, and and you could definitely good. tell in that Mongolia um, season. Okay. So, we're going to do some alone super nerd lightning round questions. Um, okay. So if any, you know, we're, I'm just going to nerd out here for a second. But number one, um, Gillnet or bow and arrow? You got to pick one. It depends on location. Uh, I would say Gillnet. Gillnet. Okay. Um, second question, is Roland the best contestant of all time? In my mind, I mean, he seemed disappointed when the show ended. Like he, he, I felt like he probably went back to Rock House and you guys had to keep pulling him away from it. You didn't even really tear it down at the end of the show. Like everybody else's structure, you remove his, you're like, dude, we can't beat Rock House. Rock House was a beast to, get, to take yeah. apart. Like that, yeah. there was no question about it. I know it's hard to say best because maybe you don't, you don't want to insult other contestants or participants. No, I, I just, I, I think, again, I, I think, you know, each person in each location you know, the good and the bad come out. And I think for Roland, you know, living in Alaska and, you know, in Red Devil, Alaska and, and, and being like, it was just, it was close to home for him. Yeah. Um, if you take, you know, Jordan Jonas, uh, you know, he'd lived with Ivanke and, and, and lived in that world. But you say, take somebody like Callie Russell, you know, who's from Montana, you know, she went out there and just, to me, she's one of the most inspirational people I've ever, I've ever met. Like yeah. her, her attitude was incredible everything about her was amazing so i could go on and on about all the great things about every participant when i look at a, a, a participants being the best or not is not the folks that necessarily win it's sure. about their experience sure 
with Roland when you spliced him building his like the toughest meat box or whatever it was with the footage of the the Wolverine stealing the other person's meat because Roland is essentially doing like a PhD level. Well, you, you can skin a tree all you want. The the Wolverine's going to get the top of it. It was just so perfectly done. But Callie, okay, this goes back to a, a rapid fire question. I think Callie's shelter was the best that was ever built. It looked like an anthropology inside. Like it looked like an Airbnb. Like she was sweeping like moss covered stones in a pattern. Like in your perspective, you've got to go live in somebody's shelter from any of the seasons for a week. Who are you picking? For a week. Yeah, a week. I would take Callie Heron's of Carrie Blue, uh, Callie Blue Heron, um, which I think was the one you were referencing. Yeah. It, was the, it was the white tarp. and the, Yeah, it was white like, tarp. It was, it was like light and airy. Yeah, for a week. Yeah. But I mean, I guess for, for the long run, I would take, you know, Roland's, no question. Plus, he, he's already built it, so I don't have to. So Yeah, that, that place was amazing. Okay, you're you're stranded. You've got one uh, participant that's going to help you survive for I don't know a month. Who are you picking? Like, if you had to partner with one person, that's a tough one. Yeah, these are very tough. They're super nerdy. You know, I would I would probably take Jordan Jonas. Okay, uh, and it, and it's a, it, it's it's a fewfold because number one, he's incredibly capable. He's extremely insightful, and he's funny and fun. And I feel like you know, if you're gonna be out there for a month, you're gonna bump heads. And I feel like if there's anybody. To, that you're not going to really bump heads with, it's going to be Jordan Jonas. It's Jordan. All right. Um, next question. Would you ever not put a ferro rod on a necklace? Every time somebody loses one, I'm like, if it was on a land, if it was on a neck, is that illegal to have a ferro rod on a necklace? No. I mean, it comes out of your, your, your cordage allotment. So you can bring a ferro rod and then ah, and, okay. and, and bring cordage or, okay. or, of course, make cordage. But yeah, you should, if, if it's not in a part of your, your knife holster, yeah. then yeah, it should, it should not be floating around your pocket. Okay, a loose ferro rod makes me so anxious. I just, as a viewer, I feel like that's going to get washed away or it's going to catch on fire um, and bad, bad things are going to happen. How far away is the crew when you guys are filming the show? Is it that you're an hour away? Like, are you guys locked in an editing room and there's, you know, like 50 editing machines? No, there's like, all the editing happens uh, uh, back in, in, in New York and Connecticut. Gotcha. Okay. Up there, there's usually, you know, we're usually so remote that we're in, you know, one one building or a few outbuildings way on the edge of somewhere. Um, you know, we call it home base. That's where people operate out of. You know, there's there's a crew that's working there. There's, you know, currently, you know, it's, it's uh, Dan Bree, who, who's the EP in the field there, is, you know, looking down the line of what's what's happening. He's working with, you know, Dave Holder and, and, and Lars and uh, the safety team. But meanwhile, the camera crew is out getting... B-roll. So all of those, you know, beautiful aerial shots yeah. and what, they're kind of wandering around in the general area okay. um, to get footage. Um, but everybody comes back to home base. So you're never very far from home base because you may have to scramble to get an hour down the lake or up the river or, you know, wherever. Okay. The thing that's fascinating to me, so they get picked up by the boat. What's the food that they have on the boat? So I tap out, you guys pick me up. Is it, you slowly work them back to food? Like you have peanut butter crackers, like have they requested it? Like, what's the first thing I get to eat when the boat comes? Well, it depends, right? Um, you know, we're, we learn more and more every year about diet and nutrition. Um, you know, we've, we've got a nutritionist uh, on beforehand, during and after. Um, we've got diets catered to the participants based on their diet when they went out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, usually uh, bone broth, um, bananas, you kind of have to basically slowly keep them in starvation mode, depending on where they left off and how their body is and slowly bring them out of starvation 
really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you can't come back and have a hamburger and hot wings yeah. and a beer. Like that's not going to fly. Yeah. No. Um, you need to slowly build your way out of that um, because your body just simply can't handle it. So, you know, I think a lot of the times when the folks come out, you know, they want more food, more food, more food. And, and it's a very delicate balance as to how much we can provide and exactly what we can provide to keep them slowly coming out of the experience they just had. Okay. Last question. And then I'll let you go. This has been a blast for me. I've loved getting to talk to you. I have so many, so many questions. I mean, last two, que- two, last two questions on a scale of one to 10, how effective is the phrase? Hey bear against a grizzly bear? Uh, probably not super effective. Uh, it lets, you know, it lets you know, you're, it lets it know you're there. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, you definitely don't want to sneak up on a grizzly bear. So, but outside of having bear bells on, you know, that's your, that's your next one other, or, or clapping, okay. you know? Okay. Okay. Cause when I was in, when I was in Glacier National Park, I felt like I was going to yell, Hey bear. And I didn't feel super confident about that as a, as a ward. Yeah. But when you're out there by yourself, eventually, you know, you start saying things just to <laughs> yeah. let, you know, even cause it starts as like a slow, like, Hey, Hey, I'm here. Yeah. And then, you know, the deeper you go, you know, you start getting a little louder. You start to scream a little more. Um, last question. What locations are you guys considering for the future? Um, certainly, if you can't release them, by no means feel pressure for that. But will you go overseas again like Mongolia? Are you taking an around-the-world kind of view? It's a case-by-case basis every year. Um, finding these locations is extremely difficult because, again, you need you know basically like 50 square miles of, of, of nothingness um, around you. No, you know, no infrastructure, no no business, no anything like that. Um, you want to be as isolated and as far removed from the world as possible. And every year, based on the network's interests, that's how we kind of pick the locations. We'll we'll look at like five or six or seven locations, ground scout a few of those, um, and then whichever one seems to be the best within the the, the the months that we plan on being there is the one we go with. It changes every year, but right now, our you know usually what we like to do is go go in right around September. As the season's coming to a close, you know, you can, you can harvest your berries and you can make your shelter. Mm-hmm. So by the time, you know, winter really hits, you know, you should, you're sort of dialed in. So I can't say where we're going this coming season. You already have it picked out? We already you're have good? it picked out. Great. Yep. Okay. That's, that's what I was curious about. Because um, the locations are amazing. I hadn't thought about it. it has to be 50 square miles and you can't have like a tourist helicopter flying over. There's like Jack's outdoor tours or something. Yeah. Is that no. kind of... You want to yeah. you, you want to keep it as 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 true to the format as possible, isolated, alone. You know, even looking up and seeing an airplane, you know, like uh, even a jet, you know, can kind of take you out of the experience a little bit. You know, oh the, yeah, the, if you the, saw the, a contrail, yeah. yeah, it kind of brings me to the, the Chris McCann list thing, right? Like every time you looked up, there was an airplane, yeah. and you just kept trying to get further and further and further out. So yeah, that's kind of one of the things we're always looking at. Is like, you know, are we in a flight pattern? Are is there anything that's going to take these folks out of what the experience is supposed to be? And that's being alone, isolated, and as remote as possible. I love the show. I talk about it all the time. Obviously, if I'm pulling out, you know, rolling facts, (laughs) I would love to know where he is right now. I think he's throwing an ax somewhere right now. He may be. He may be. um, Probably that he made, um, like handmade in some difficult way. So, Well, chances are when Roland hears this, he'll just give you a holler. That's that's. Oh, I'm sure he's listening to podcasts. (laughs) I'm sure he's subscribed. Like right now, he's, uh, he's probably an Android guy probably on an android right now he's listening to yeah i think he still has a flip phone 
Yeah, he. I'm sure he'll see me tweet this episode, and he'll be like, "Hold up, Ryan was on a podcast. I got to get on that podcast. I'll, I'll hit him up on Snapchat. I'm sure it'll be it'll be fine." Well, Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. If you had one last thing to say, hey, if anybody's interested in the show, here's the best place to go. You know, where can people easily connect with all this great content, this amazing show? Uh, current season is on is on History Channel, so that's your 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 best spot. Is hit, hit up the History Channel. Um, we're I think it's episode eight oh nine tonight. Not sure when this will air, but um, we're getting down to it. So you can go to history.com or you can go to History Channel and uh, get the most current episode episodes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, John. Thank you for listening to my interview with Ryan Pender today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. When your podcast is newish like mine, I think it's newish at this point, the reviews are super important. So make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is that the kids are saying these days about podcasts and please write a review. Last but not least, big thank you once again to our sponsor, Remodel Health. Visit remodelhealth.com slash analysis today to learn more about the health benefits analysis and get your personalized evaluation. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. podcast.